0: Amen. All right. So the cultural lie that we're looking at this morning is the phrase, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Have you guys heard that one before? Follow your heart. No one's heard of that? Seriously? I think it's on like t-shirts and mugs, probably more than any other slogan that we have. So now I'm going to warn you, the passage that we are uh, going to be looking into this morning is a tough one. It is heavy. It's a heavy, heavy passage, but it's God's word. And it's useful for teaching us this morning. So let's look to this. Uh, Verses 1 to 15 says, Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, right, from another wife, loved her. So this is his half-sister. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill. So he made himself physically sick because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. So his cousin, right? And Jonadab was a crafty, clever man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard? Morning after morning, will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed, pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon laid down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, that's King David, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. She she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon, notice how many times this word is stated, hated. Amnon hated her with very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. This is the word of the Lord. Today we look at the cultural lie follow your heart. Again, as I said, this is an incredibly difficult passage to preach during the worship gathering. On Thursday morning, when I was wrestling through this passage, I almost kind of pulled the ejection handle and said, no, I'm not going to do it. But the, the Lord pressed in, and it's like, okay, I, I feel like God has led me to preach this passage to you this morning. The, the reality of this scene captures the essence of being driven by your emotions, using your heart as a compass for life. We see in Amnon the twisted desires of the human heart from loving or actually we could say lusting after his sister to being ill without her, to conniving to get her, and then following his heart to hatred and rejection of her. The contents of this story are, we acknowledge, the extreme ends to the phrase, right, just follow your heart. About six years ago, I had a member uh, come up to me after church, she was raising money, she was she was going with a team to Kenya to go on a mission trip, and she wanted to auction off a really nice handcrafted sign uh, she had made. You met We got those crafty type people in here that you can make stuff, make amazing things. She was a crafty lady, and she had made this sign. I'm like, that's a great idea. You need to raise money to go to Kenya? Yeah, for sure. You can sell this sign and help uh, offset some of uh, your expenses as you go to Kenya. So I agreed to that without seeing the sign and its message. Then she pulled it out of the bag and showed me, and it was emblazoned with this slogan. What do you guys think it was? Follow your heart. Oh, no. The conundrum of agreement, right? And then figuring out how to work through the reality that we're not really going to sell this sign in the church. But you may be thinking, why? Why wouldn't we? We can begin to understand why from the passage today. A heartbreaking, right? This is a heartbreaking passage, the heartbreaking story of a man handing himself over to follow his heart in the lustful overpowering of Timar. It is a troubling, extreme scenario, but this is the result of living according to the desires of our heart, because I'm going to say this, follow your heart is what we'll call this morning a false gospel, It's a false gospel, and that brings us to our main idea. Our main idea is this. Reject the false gospel of follow your heart and embrace the true gospel of, quote, follow me. And the person I'm quoting that says follow me is not myself. I'm quoting Jesus uh, from Matthew chapter 10. Follow your heart is is a slogan that saturates our culture. And why not, right? Just as last week we addressed the slogan, live your truth, which had some semblance of truth intertwined within it, follow your heart seems to just touch all the right feelings and emotions within us. But as we understand from the reading this morning, following your heart to the furthest extremes may seem like it will bring incredible joy and fulfillment, but in the life of Amnon and Tamar, it only brought death, destruction, and despair. If we were to continue reading the chapters of 2 Samuel it gets absolutely messy and chaotic, the scene and the chapters that come after that. It later led the brother of Timar, Absalom, to make terrible mistakes. And the truth is that our, our hearts apart from, listen to this, our hearts apart from the guiding light of Jesus only lead us on paths of hopelessness and despair. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 15, 18 to 19. He says this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the What? From the heart. And this defiles a person, right? It's from what's within you. For out of the heart come this evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, fault, false witness, slander. All of these vices listed promise worldly fulfillment but fall far short of paying out right evil thoughts and murder jesus taught on murder in the sermon on the mount and he equated this word actually we found this in amnon his emotions of what hatred right he equated hating somebody as being the same as murdering them. And, and hatred has the promise of making us feel superior to others. We're over other people. Adultery and sexual immorality promise freedom and satisfaction. Theft is envy for or want of something that's not yours and taking that thing away from them. False witness and slander, right? What is that? I'm going to get you back, I'm going to show you. The false gospel of follow your heart, may seem empowering and life-giving, but it will ultimately steal and kill and destroy your soul and others around you. Instead, Jesus calls us to the true gospel, not the false gospel, the true gospel, one that bids a man to come and die to himself die to following his or her heart, and instead to follow after Jesus. This is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 10, 38 to 39, when he says, and whoever does not take up his cross, and notice these words, what? Follow me, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life, he's speaking presently, thinks they find fulfillment in this life and the desires of this world. Whoever finds his life will lose it, And whoever loses his life, this is important, whoever gives up really their life to follow Jesus, whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. We know the ends of that is eternal life with Christ in his presence. Jesus has called us to reject the false gospel of follow your heart and embrace the true gospel of follow your heart me. And so we're going to go through a series of questions this morning. The first question that we have is this. What is follow your heart? What exactly does that mean? As I asserted last week, we want to combat the spirit of the age. This is a phrase that is the spirit of the age with the spirit of truth. But we must first understand what exactly the spirit of the age is teaching when it says follow your heart. And I was reading through an article this past week Uh, from a website called Desiring God written by a man named John Bloom. And I think he actually explains the slogan for us very well. So I'm gonna quote him this morning. He says, essentially, this is what is follow your heart again. Essentially, it's a belief that your heart is a compass inside of you that will direct you to your own true north if you just have the courage to follow it. It says that your heart is a true guide that will lead you to true happiness if you just have the courage to listen to it. As is the case with each cultural lie, they they each seem charitable, maybe even altruistic to allow each individual to guide their own pathway to fulfillment and happiness, But if if the compass is is driven by my desires and wants and not the desires and plan that the Lord has set before me, I want to assert this to you this morning. We will only be left hurting and wanting and ultimately, as we see in this passage, damaging others in our path toward selfishly pursuing the desire of our own heart. But why? Again, this brings us now to another question. Why? What's wrong with pursuing uh, what my heart Desires. What is wrong with the heart? That's the next question. What is wrong with the heart? We're going to get into some theology this morning. Really, what we're getting at here is the doctrine of sin, it's the doctrine of sin. Now that that seems like it's a, it's a bad word in our culture, and unfortunately it's become a bad word in our churches that we don't use very much anymore, and we need to talk about this so we understand what exactly sin is. So what is wrong with, with the heart really is answered in the doctrine of sin. When we ask the question, what's wrong with the heart, we must assess the damage that the sole pursuit of our heart's desires can bring. In Amnon's sin, we witness unhindered power, lust, and raw emotion, which creates incredible trauma and long-lasting damage to the life of his half-sister. Because Amnon pursued what? The desires of his heart. He was pushed by his emotions. 2 Samuel 13, 1 and 2. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her, Lusted after her, actually, and Amnon was so tormented that he made himself sick, ill because of his sister, Tamar, for she was a virgin. and It seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But the trouble with following our hearts is really this. It's the sickness of sin that has infected each and every human person since the fall of Adam. When Adam sinned as our human representative, his sin was imputed, meaning assigned to humanity. We find that taught by Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit in Romans chapter 5 if you were to read in your New Testament. Therefore, each person is born into sin, having within them a sin nature. We find David reflecting on his sin nature nature in Psalm 51. We have an, an inherent disposition toward sin, and this is what's wrong with the human heart. I think Pastor R.C. Sproul captures this well in this quote when he says, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. It's our nature. And, and each of us has sinned and will continue to sin, and, and some of us may be wrestling with that word in here right now and saying, I'm pretty good though. But But I'm going to give you three examples here where we can acknowledge that sin does exist, this isn't in your notes, but example number one would be if we honestly assess ourselves, if we honestly assess the thoughts that go through our mind and really the the, the bent direction of our heart apart from the leading of God's Holy Spirit and the entrusting of his word into our soul. If we honestly assess ourselves, if we honestly think about our thoughts and minds and our actions, we would acknowledge that we fall short of the mark of God's righteous perfection, His holiness, Scripture would say. Number two, if we honestly think about how others have wronged us. Have you been treated wrong? Have you been sinned against? I have. We all have. We've all faced that. And so we know that sin exists because we have felt the effects of it within our human relationships. The last thing would be is if we honestly assess the corruption and decay that exists within human civilization. Okay, I don't, remem- uh, I don't recommend carrying out this exercise very often, but every once in a while, you can turn on the evening news and you will find decay and corruption all around the world, right? It's the effects of sin. With the doctrine of sin in mind, it it is a troubling exercise to think upon people being encouraged then to follow your heart as the compass and guide towards fulfillment and happiness. I think the prophet Jeremiah says it like really easily in Jeremiah 17:9. He says it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Pretty clear, isn't it? Due to our our inherited sin nature, we find the slogan, follow your heart, to be this, as I said at the beginning, to be a false gospel. It promises good things, but it never pays out. It promises fulfillment, happiness, true depth of life, but ultimately fails to deliver and must cause us to ask now this next question, where does follow your heart lead? Where does this lead to? Two instances we will examine, obviously the passage that we're in in chapter 13, but there's actually something a little similar that happened a few chapters before this that we're going to hit on. Two instances we're going to examine here. So verse 14 kind of summarizes like, where does it lead? But he would not listen to her and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Man, this is just such a gross and detestable passage that we're reading this morning. What's wrong with this picture? If a heart is is the compass toward true happiness, why was Amnon left what? It uses hatred over and over and over again in that last verse that we read. Why is he left hating his half-sister instead of being fulfilled when he got what he wanted? Right? Shouldn't he have been satisfied? But he wasn't. Instead, he destroyed the life of his half-sister. He destroyed his own life. And through his succumbing to the compass of his heart, he brought death and destruction and danger and desperation into his whole family. His family's a mess after this. This is the reality of an unchecked pursuit of sin due to trusting your heart as the compass of happiness and joy. Right, where does follow your heart lead, danger, destruction, and ultimately death? It's why Paul would say in Romans 6.23, what the wages of sin is death. If we investigate further, though, Amnon is only perpetuating the sin of his father. Who was his father? David. His father had introduced this sin into his family because his, his father David also followed his heart at a point in his life. Like the famous, or should we say infamous, story of King David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses two to four. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. He's walking on the roof of the king's house and that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Now, let me tell you this. Homeboy should have done this. He should have looked straight down, Turn around, walk backwards, and sat back down on the couch. He didn't do that. Because notice this. It says, and the woman was very beautiful. How do we know that? Because and David's up there looking, isn't he? And David sent and inquired about the woman. It gets even more interesting here. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Uh Uh-oh, do you know who Uriah is? He's a guy working out on the front lines, protecting the kingdom, advancing David's reign over regions. He's doing work. He's fighting battles. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. I love how the Bible just doesn't sugarcoat this stuff. It's just there. Just a few chapters prior, the father of Amnon, David, carried out an act similar to Amnon's antics. This is where the human heart leads. We must admit, again, these are extreme cases, but we must also acknowledge that following your heart, following his heart, it led to destruction, right? In David's life, lies and deception and murder and adultery and ugliness and chaos, But David's false gospel of pursuing the desire of his heart, following his sin-determined compass ultimately led to this. It it actually turns into a beautiful story in David's instance. It ultimately led to his relenting of his sinful passions and through the prophetic word of Nathan, he was cut to the heart, confessing his sins, humbling himself and turning back to God. We have a beautiful Psalm, Psalm 51, which remembers this, has this saved for us in Scripture for us to reflect when we fall short of the mark of God. It's lasting evidence of David's repentance. And, And with this heavy content, I think we can all agree together, right? We need some good news. We got the bad news. Who wants some good news? I do. Okay, I'm the only one. We need true gospel. Gospel that truly grants joy and peace and fulfillment in our earthly lives now. The gospel of Jesus gives us that presently, right now, and it promises it for all of eternity. And because of the desperate condition of our heart, we must come to this question. What's the solution? How do we fix this? The solution to follow your heart is, as Jesus said, to follow me, to follow Christ. In order to follow Jesus, this is what needs to happen. Something new needs to happen. We need a new heart. We need a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 actually prophesies of this. Ezekiel was a prophet of the Lord that was led under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit to write these words to encourage Israel and to encourage us thousands of years later. And the prophet says this, and I will give you, this is God speaking now, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That is a beautiful passage of scripture and a beautiful promise. If our inner guide, our heart is corrupt and only able to pursue sin, again, it's the the doctrine of sin and depravity, We need a new guide, don't we? Beginning with a new heart. And God in his his forbearance, his forward-looking plan, gave us an answer to the false gospel of follow your heart, promising that he will give a new heart and a new spirit within us. We call this regeneration, right? being made new, being born again. And regeneration is the work of God's promised Holy Spirit. The powerful influence of of God's Spirit works within us, granting us ears to hear the powerful call of God through this, the proclamation of the gospel. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing what? Through the word of Christ. But what is this beautiful word of Christ which grants a new heart and new spirit? I'm so thankful you asked me that question. It is this. It's the guiding gospel of God, which teaches us that God, this is what the gospel teaches us. If we, if we look from cover to cover in scripture, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the good news. It's all about God's reconciling and redemptive work. And the scriptures teach us this, that God has made all things, that God spoke them into existence and granted all things purpose. The heart of creation was this, was the forming of Adam and Eve, whom bear the the image and likeness of God in his perfect and beautiful creation. God spoke everything into existence, but there was a more intimate connection with human beings. He formed them. Because they're the centerpiece of his creation. But meanwhile, in the heavenly places, A once great servant of the heavenly bodies, Lucifer fell from heaven because he rebelled against God. He sought the glory that only belonged to the Father. In a sense, Lucifer followed his heart and has created a path of destruction and death. He lured the first human couple through lies and deceits and also in their own will, they sinned themselves. They decided to go against God's rule. Under the persuasion of Satan in the form of a serpent, they fell into sin, partaking of the fruit that the Lord God had forbidden them to receive. Their eyes then were opened to their nakedness and shame, and they willingly did this. They ran and hid from God. And in our natural state, before we respond to the gospel, that's what we're like, we're running from and hiding from the Lord. We run from him. But God, in, in again in his divine, forbearance promised Eve in Genesis 3.15 that one would come that would crush the power of the serpent. And ultimately this one would reconcile those who place their faith in his work from this, from the curse of sin and death. This one came in the person and work of Jesus, God's only begotten son. He lived for us perfectly. He substituted himself on the cross of shame, receiving the wrath of God for our sin. He was our representative of perfection in the same manner as we talked about earlier that Adam was our representative in his failure Jesus bodily died on the cross and he went into the grave upon his death the way to God was made open and this is shown through the tearing of the temple curtain from top to bottom and by the power of God's spirit on the third day Jesus Christ was raised to life again This is what he accomplished. He conquered sin and death. He ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God reigning. And he has taught us that that the human heart, apart from his renewing work, is deceitful and desperately wicked. We should not follow it, but rather follow him. Through faith in Jesus, we can take hold of this, of the good life found in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 to 8 which says this trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him listen to this promise and he will make straight your paths be not wise in your own eyes fear the Lord turn away from evil it will bring healing to your flesh this is beautiful and refreshment to your bones who here needs some refreshment I know I do we all do we need to be refreshed from the pursuit of our desires and pleasures and be renewed to embrace the joy, contentment, and purpose of God for our lives. We need to abandon the lies of the spirit of the age in pursuing only that which steals and kills and destroys and pursue that, hear this, pursue that which gives us life, and Jesus calls it this, life in the full, life abundantly. Life that is really life. Life. This is the power of the gospel that is preached to you and for you this morning. By proclaiming the gospel, the Bible promises this that the lost will hear, the blind given sight, the dead will live again. I want to invite you this morning on a day when we celebrate new life through seeing baptisms, through really seeing Jesus' work in people's lives. If you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, follow him. How do you do that? It's very simple. We humble ourselves before the cross and we trust the words of God. We trust the finished work of Jesus Christ. We believe that he lived for us, he died for us, and he raised for us conquering sin and death. And again, the, the beautiful thing is we have a picture of what a saving relationship with Jesus looks like this morning as we see the steps of obedience to the word of God, which calls new professing believers to enter the waters of baptism, showing how they have died to their old ways and they've been raised to new life in Christ. That's how you are to be saved through Jesus, If you do have a relationship with Jesus, the gospel's for you too. It's for you also. It's why every New Testament letter preaches the gospel. Those letters are written to what? The church is filled with who? Christians. They proclaim the gospel to Christians. It's for all of us. If you have a relationship with Jesus, look at your life. Does it evidence a pursuit of his will and plan? Or only the endless pursuit of your own selfish heart. The gospel is for us also. It reminds us of this. God's great love for us. The gospel not only saves us. It keeps us it transforms us. It is a constant reminder of purpose and seeking transformation in our own lives so that we can live in light of and follow after God and his ways. And it helps us to do this, to live in light of, of what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 38 and 39 when he tells us to take up our cross and follow after him. He says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life For my sake, will find it. I invite you this morning to lose your life and follow after Jesus and receive life, life in the full, life that is really life, abundant life. Find life this morning again in the power of the gospel. Submit to Jesus. Let him guide your heart. It says here again in Proverbs chapter three, he will make straight your paths. He will bring healing to your soul. He will refresh your bones. Amen.